0: Hello, welcome back to TVI. Carl Donnelly here.
1: Julian Dean.
0: Um, welcome back. This is um, this is um, one of, uh, I think this is our second of these sort of little special episodes where... Casting the net wider. Yeah, we've decided, you know, we get comedians on every week for our main episode, but we thought we'd do another little episode some weeks where we get somebody who might be sort of maybe from the outer regions of comedy or from some other different walk of life that's interesting. So was a really fun. It? It's
1: really interesting.
0: Yeah, so we we thought, right, this is a weird one because um this is somebody who used to be uh, a very well-known agent in the UK, Paul Duddridge. Um I don't know why I added a sort of syllable into his name there, it's Duddridge. <laughs> um but he uh he was yeah, he was basically the agent for some of your favorite comedians, biggest comedians in the UK, Michael McIntyre, uh, uh Rob Brydon. Lo- loads, there's loads of them. But um and he sort of he was around. He sort of caught the end of.
1: He basically discovered McIntyre, didn't he?
0: Yeah,
1: it's not his um, words, but that's what I. I think that was in McIntyre's biography, wasn't well, yeah, it? Yeah, he
0: was his. He was his agent that sort of spurred him on. Phil not...
1: Jupiter, Rob Brydon.
0: Yeah, Jupiter was one. He was very uh, influential in the creating the Phil Jupiter we know today. Um, and then he was an agent until late two thousands, the first two thousand the t- decade. Or t- but, I don't know? What do we call that one?
1: I don't know, the late
0: 2000s. Is is it just called the 2000s? That sounds like you're talking about the whole millennium. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Anyway, but then he decided to to call it quits, and he upped sticks, moved to America, and now does other things. So we thought we'd have a little chat to him, and we just, it's wicked. We'd hear all about. It's a good,
1: it's a good chat as well, isn't it? Good he? chat,
0: um, and talking at just it, I find it fascinating listening to that how the comedy be no to that, it, yeah, because yeah, like you know you hear about the alternative comedy of the eighties. Now we know it's all big TV comedy and stuff, um, but that sort of in between bit where we both started, that sort of the sort of decade before that, you never really hear much about. You just remember seeing like Lee Evans and you know Billy
1: Connolly yeah
0: you don't know I mean so it, it, I, I found it fascinating hearing about and comparing those times to now and what comedians were like
1: yeah yeah before social media essentially but
0: Yeah, because I think a lot of people now comedians now are quite sort of you know tribal and I think we often think that it's more tribal than it used to be and we'll hear that you know Paul has slightly different opinions on that he thinks comedians are quite similar to they always how they always have been yeah Anyway, it's fun, it's interesting.
1: Thanks for listening. Thanks for,
0: enjoy it. Thanks to our patrons yeah. who have signed up on www.patreon.com forward slash we are TVI. Thank That's you. It. Enjoy. Did the podcast, to,
1: so, you, in I'm all right, bro. Welcome to TVI podcast. Introduction by Julian Francis (laughs) Dean of TVI. Um, We've got Paul Dudridge as guest in In, the house. Arguably
0: one of the most professional looking setups we've had of any guests during lockdown. Got an actual padded wall, unless you're you're zooming us from a mental hospital. (laughs) But um, you've got a lovely. I have to be quick. I have to be quick because it starts taking a photo in a
2: minute
1: and then I have to go and get the rest of my passport.
0: So um, so anyway, this was, that was Julian's first ever intro after two years of us doing the podcast.
1: I think it
2: was excellent. Well, not quite, not quite. It was on the way to being the first intro, but it was, certainly you've done a high percentage of an intro there. You're probably, just get you over the finishing line, just have another. What I didn't do,
1: I did not say my name and then, carl you say your name and then we do the guest, don't we that's true
0: actually it's i mean we're in uncharted territories though so i just thought we'd just go with it and see what i
1: mean i mean you've taken me to deep waters with this (laughs) (laughs) only
0: you could that's like when we me and julian did some uh some tour shows together where um it was a double header tour we both meant to be doing like 45 minutes and like uh, we agreed I'll go on second just uh, just cuz I'm a, I'm I'm less of am less stressed about gigging essentially and then on the way to almost every gig, Julian was say to me, How long do you want me to do it? As if it was as if he was a support act. It was like it's a double header tour, mate. You, it's your half. You do what you do. But
1: what about do. what about in Tunbridge Wells? Cole brought me back out on the second half to do well, ten I just, minutes I of say, crowd work. I yeah, mean, just go
0: out and do some crowd work. <laughs> it was fucking funny, mate.
1: Absolutely to the roof off. I just but, think, um, you know, I
0: just think you need to relax. I mean,
1: they, wonder if that roof's fixed. They probably sorted that out over lockdown. <laughs> So <laughs> what? So Julian Julian
2: has a problem relaxing, doing live shows?
0: I mean, that, yeah, anyone who knows him would know that's, that, that's the and case. The
1: first, the first one was especially, I don't know, for some reason we were in Corby or Derby. Where, Where were we, Derby? Yeah,
0: no, well, it was, it I know what you're Darby. talking about. It was up near Stoke or something, wasn't it? it, was some, yeah, it, was it was or, yeah, it was a lovely little area. Yeah, it was a lovely little theatre.
1: For some reason I was just, in my head, it was the first one we did. But the others, I was only kind of like 70% in my head. This one, I was, you know, (laughs) going into the 90s.
0: Um, But, yeah, so anyway, that was why you can see that the... um, I like to give them
1: a good show and be 100% focused, you know.
0: Yeah, on (laughs) underrunning.
1: Daddy Mac used to call me Julian Dean 17. (laughs) (laughs) Because the girls are like, no, not really, because of my... Um, can, we, can, we, can we cut, because he met a few of my side things. Um, can, can we cut that bit out?
0: Absolutely not. Anyway, Paul Dudridge, all the way from uh, from LA, right?
2: Yes, yes, I'm in cool. Los Angeles. What
0: part of Los Angeles do you live in? What's, what's East there? LA,
2: East LA, thanks for bringing that up. Yeah, I live in is the least have... salubrious part. Oh, is
0: it? I don't really, because I didn't really know anything about LA geography, and so I went there, was it last year I went to visit some mates and um and i loved it but uh, yeah they they live in one of the one lot of them live in silver lake which is fucking well okay nice. that's a bit of it right, is nice it? yeah that's like what is it east hollywood it's just the other, other side is. of east hollywood
2: if you carried on on that i don't know if you went up sunset but if you go silver yes. lake and then over the bridge yeah. i live on the
0: other side of the bridge okay sure. so how but how where, do
2: you the, go where the where greece where the t-birds had that race down oh. the LA thunder, River. thunder
1: road you mean is that, I thought Thunder, Thunder Road, Road was Tom Cruise, wasn't it? No, yes. i meet you at Thunder Road. We're playing for Pinkies. Oh, maybe.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Is that? Is
1: that... <laughs> pinkies is log books, isn't it? Like pink slips is oh, like is car is? That's right, a pink slip. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I never and, knew uh, that. What,
2: the, so that's it's basically they... like which a, which like bit? an old
1: deserted, like concrete canal. The one that you always see on YouTube. No, it's the LA the River. Drowning. It's the LA River. Oh. Well, so, it's, what, dra- it's, Dry is it?
2: Well, a lot of the time it's dry or just a, a small trickle. That's why whole, I didn't catch
1: you know, anything when I was fishing. <laughs> the,
2: um, I was just... If you you know that film Chinatown, it's all about oh, yeah. the. It's all about you know getting water into LA. This was the big deal. This is why LA can actually exist because they are basically it's Tesco close the water from. Yeah, because they make <laughs> the water from the Colorado River, and and the LA River is just this concrete looking trench basically and that's oh, why okay.
0: you know they usually use it for t-bird racing
1: oh okay <laughs>
0: um yeah so uh, that's made it into a lot of films is not it like, there's a lot of yeah un, uh, lawful car race a lot of car chases end up there they always end up in exactly that exactly because <laughs> that... exactly. yeah, really.
1: they can go so up the live side live a bit can't they silver lake onto that mm. what's that love they 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 can go up the sides the cars it looks pretty cold, doesn't it? They
2: do. They do. It's, it's stopping them is the trick.
1: But then when you get like, so this winter, we'll get
2: our deluge. I think we get like 30 days of rain a year or something. And then it gets really, really full. It's like a really mad rolling mm, yeah. river. But yeah, most of the year, it's just this kind of, it looks like, um, as you say, an abandoned drainage.
0: Yeah. Well, anyway, but anyway, so I think a quick biog, so people know who you are. In terms of like, you've got an interesting sort of trajectory, haven't you? You started out as a comedy. Well, actually, but what did what did you do before comedy management? Um,
2: I was a promoter, actually. I, I had, I'll tell you what it was. It, I wasn't in comedy at all, still, and, and then wasn't, uh, arguably. And then uh, definitely not now. Uh, if, so, you know Simon Randall? Do you know that um, yeah. the headliners. headliners gig? Yeah. Lovely I, was, I basically shared a flat with his brother, Ben in the 80s and then in 1990 Simon came back from college and we went to the Acton Banana there was still an act there was an Acton Banana did you, uh, did, did you ever overlap with that?
1: I'm at the Ballam Banana this weekend oh right well they had this dog.
2: outpost in uh, in Acton for a while they must have started in the mid-80s something like that and basically, Simon came round after we went to this gig and said, "Like, do you want to start a comedy club?" So we started. Uh, first month of 1991. we started uh, what was Ha Bloody Ha at the time, and we started at Ealing College. Oh, it's Thames and Valley what,
1: University. What now. was the idea behind starting a, a club at that time? For you, you were both into watching stand up, were you, or you just thought it'd be a, a good business?
2: this is going to sound terrible. My
1: whole thing
2: was, look, my life is going to be abject failure. I might as well fail at something that I quite enjoy watching. And that was the only reason, to be honest. I was just, you know, I was just hanging around London like everybody else was, you know, signing on and all sort of odd jobs and all that kind of stuff. And like I said, Simon came up with this thing. And uh, I must have been 20-something, 21, I think. And uh, so we, we did it. And the first week was like this mad, roaring success. And then the second week, nobody came. He carried on with it, went on about six weeks. But again, everything was so telescoped that, you know, again, I'm sure it's the same on the circuit now, but then there was so, there was such a kind of bush telegraph that the very fact that we'd been doing, we'd been in the business for six weeks or something made us veterans then, you know? And then somebody (laughs) was giving up, somebody was giving up So Ho Ho was the thing. There was a comic who was like tired of doing So Ho Ho, which was a Thursday night gig. And then I took that over about six weeks later. uh, Simon and I parted company. He carried on and he took over the viaduct. Yeah, he kept it at the viaduct in Hanwell. And then uh, that turned into a real success. And now he's got the permanent fixture at uh, Headliners, which is a great club. But uh, we stayed friends and everything, but I just, you know, he really likes being a comedy promoter. He was like, I think he was the booking... He did the ent Ents management at Bolton University or Bolton College or Manchester you know, whatever it was, some northern seat of learning. And so that he'd like really got the bug for it then. I wasn't so bothered. I just like it was it was that all playing snooker signing on. So it was it was fun. That's Took my business this- model. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly i took over soho and the thing is it was only time out then only time out was the only f- point of reference for any comedy
1: that, it, it was, was like that forever
0: thing. though really because i remember like when i started out Time Out was the only play like, I t- time yeah. Out was everything like every that was
1: what was that was one of the things that suggested when you're new get time out, get time out it had the phone now, i never bought it once
0: I really, I, used to, I used to. That's yeah. when I started. That was I got time out, called up a bunch of the new app places. <laughs> making I <the> please? <laughs> and then you know, <laughs> what year uh, was that? So what year was that? Uh, you were doing?
2: Two thousand and five or two thousand four?
0: Wow! And then two thousand five. So basically, I did a hand a couple of gigs in two thousand four, and then it two thousand five when I properly started. Was gigging it? Was it regularly? Because
2: listen, it, to me, uh, I'm jumping ahead, but I'll get back to the uh, talking about me, me, me. But for you if you've been around for what 15 16 years then is it recognizably basically is it just ridiculously more difficult now to uh for anybody new to actually start making money oh uh, yeah on the the answer, answering yeah. the call
1: and it was still even the when ta- you time out. are it's... you still using the same timeout to get good <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> i'd say do you know what i'd say it is it's i reckon it's harder to make money now even like yeah yeah even for When you like the sort of it used to be open spots, if you're decent, you get another, you get like a paid 10 or something. The progression was quick, but you know, if once you got in the clubs, the money was decent. If you're doing it a lot, if you did any sort of TV, radio, the money was decent, you know. But then, sort of Mm. apart from the big names now, even in television, like the the fees for most stuff on telly is cack, really. Like, you know what I mean? So, actually, you know, there are people. That you, there were, there are comics for now that have come up in the last five, ten years that are doing the odd bit on telly that have still got fucking jobs and stuff. Like whereas that's unheard mm. of. When I started, yeah, that was yeah. when the TV boom. I started just as the TV boom happened, so suddenly that was when McIntyre and that all blew they up. Drive, when I was a right. brand drive, new open, they spot.
1: drive their Uber to um mock the <laughs> week. <laughs> but, it's tr- but but that's like it felt
0: like you could progress to make a living from just stand-up much quicker if you were good, because there was less comics. But also, I think there was much more of a, you know, you do a bit of telly, and you can suddenly just start selling out a big tour. You'll make like, shit Absolutely. loads of money. Whereas now, there are people that have done loads of telly that can't sell 30 tickets in, in, in the middle well, of you've wherever had the sa- You've gone
2: through the saturation there. This is the thing. It's turned into kind of glam rock in the 70s. It's just that everybody... Well, I was lucky and I didn't realize how lucky I was that, again, I'm not a performer and I was still able to ride the coattails of something like that comedy. Uh, and I take your point, the comedy boom on TV is definitely from about 2004, four five. But the comedy boom as the industry, I would say, I just got lucky. It was about 91, 92 that it began. Yeah, yeah. And I was able to get in vile opportunist that I am. And I was just able to learn absolutely everything about business and industry and people and everything without there being any pressure on it, you know, it was like everything was still forming.
0: Yeah, yeah, People like Off
2: the Curb and Avalon had been sort of established for three, four years by that point, 86, 87. Yeah. And they were, they're they're proper business people. I was just more of a kind of, uh, uh, what's the word? Yeah, Jackaroo, just, uh, I would just turn up and felt happy I was in show business. I was lucky to be in show business, basically. And so I was able to get the non-pressurized, easy kind of, and again, th- the money was mad. The money was mad from day one. You know, it was the thing. I went from signing on to suddenly being able to earn a living. And then 12 months later, I was employing staff. You know what I mean?
0: It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, was, it was. So, so what? Wait, who was your first act you signed?
2: I think it was Tonkinson. Oh, I'm really? Sure. Yeah. Tonkinson. And then there was people like Pat Condell. Oh, but, yeah, in what's, that
0: first wave. He's now like a YouTuber uh, or something, isn't he? I never saw him do stand-up. He is. He's massive
2: on YouTube. He's massive. I mean, he gets like... He's got like a million views every video now, Pat Condell. Hell. And hell. Uh, yeah, weirdly, I saw Bill Bailey about 10 years ago, something like that, in London. Because I've been I've been in LA for about 12, 13 years, so I occasionally go back on some work stuff. And I saw Bill Bailey, and he, was, he turned me on to what Pat was doing. And it is just... He is... The arch libertarian free speech. This is a great one. Yeah. So he's like pro-Brexit, pro-Trump and everything. And so, you know, I love him. But he got taken out. <laughs> it was great. I saw him. I saw I saw Pat Condela about four or five years ago in London for a drink. And he said that there was these two comedians who I shan't name here, but I'll tell Julian and Anil Grass. But they basically him invited Patreon him out everyone. for a drink.
1: They invited him <laughs> so out for two- a drink. We are TV. <laughs> they took him to the pub
2: and said you're going to have to drop all this you're going to have to drop all your right-wing politics or you were basically removing your comedy fraternity card you're out of the uh you're out of the circuit you're out of comedy. So he was um he so was he's sent. He's headlining by. comedy
0: unleashed this week <laughs> <laughs> um, But um it's yes yeah, I mean it's a fascinating a uh, trajectory it's quite a common trajectory I think currently of uh comedians ending up being contrary youtubers yeah yeah Shit yeah. doesn't go to well, plan I...
2: no but... you're right you're right i mean i'm seeing it more and more there's that you've got that thursday night monthly thing at
0: uh but, yeah that's that's, place, that's comedy it? unleashed that's but what I mean, not, yeah yeah that's um, not but Beth i'm not gray. like i'm not digging them out actually you know i've got mates who've done it and do it and like it's um i've got a sort of bit of a you know, when it's like, it sort of sells itself as a gig where you can say what you wouldn't say at another gig, but then I've seen clips of people that they're just doing stuff that I've seen them do at other gigs. I'm like, well, what's the point in that then?
2: Well, no, this is the point, <laughs> isn't it?
0: Do it. Do a, you know, people like Scott Capura do it. I've never seen Scott Kapura pull any punches on a gig in my life. You know what I mean? So I feel like it's sort of... I don't. I, I think they, everything they're doing there is fine, but I just I I'm, I wouldn't. sort of, I think it's a bit of a marketing tool, is what I'm saying. It's I was not- just
2: about to say, but that's the noble history of comedy. This is, I think, the dichotomy with comedy that people think that they're in this kind of artistic brethren, this fraternity, this sorority, this this kind of group of traveling minstrels and it's like actually it's
0: a big marketing gig and And also what happens is full of saturation full of sort of it's a solo sport as well it's full of individuals who actually are ultimately up against each other and i think that's why yeah there's a lot of comedians who are super nice on the surface and would absolutely cut your throat to get on fucking live at the apollo do you know what i mean that's sort of you're welcome. You wouldn't, you wouldn't get anyone's throat to get on it, mate. Um, I No, you're absolutely right, and
2: and and that's the. But I say I think that's okay. I, that's why I'm very kind of. Uh, I like to. So I was objective at the time when I when I was actually in management. I just couldn't take any of it seriously or believe any of the, um, or believe any of the hype. I remember uh, who was the guy that used to produce John Peel's show. He became like a, a radio celeb in his own right, and. Uh, uh, and i can't remember john somebody but uh he was always going on about going to heavy metal gigs you know and uh he'd say like they'd come out dressed as saxons or vikings and go i'm Thognock from the planet ra and he'd go like didn't he deliver my papers yeah, you know yeah, what i mean yeah. it's just like it, it's all <laughs> the whole thing is just showbiz and marketing and if you can elbow your way to the top and get a bit of attention and get a car brilliant I mean, well yeah, that's, that's, just, yeah
0: like, that's the thing i don't really begrudge anyone for it I've, no. i think you know i think some people buy into it you know it's a whole edinburgh thing of you know mm. sort of the cynical edinburgh pr type you know making your show sound like it's more important and yeah more pathos yeah. than there is it's just now you know it's 45 minutes of fucking knob jokes and then 15 minutes about your dad dying and suddenly you're just like i'm just getting to well, the heart and, and of everything and, and it all yeah, it's yeah. so
2: exactly it's so insincere that all grew up out of yeah well when when it was the um, the fringe it was all theater and then it got hijacked by the comics and they found they could only get it reviewed if they called it a theater show
0: yeah but also I, just, I think again i don't out. really begrudge people for doing it i get it but it's, it's sort of playing yeah, the I game in it innit? edinburgh is a uh, ultimately edinburgh is thousands and thousands of people trying to be noticed so i feel like sometimes people are a bit harsh on comedians at go for a bit of a sneaky pr well
2: no the comedians are harsh on comedians that's what i'm saying i really love everything they're doing i think it is marketing and i think it's just attention getting 101 that's the game and whatever the market is if you know if basically if everybody's wearing black this year then invest in white because that's what's going to happen next year if everybody's left wing now start a right wing comedy club and and vice versa you know totally totally down with that i'm saying it's the comedians that seem to be really horrible to each other about it as if that there's some other expectation on them to have some kind of They're virtue. taking
1: it seriously aren't they they're taking they really the, believe it the smoke and <laughs> but, mirrors seriously yeah, yeah that is but i i don't know is that do you think that is that always but
0: this is actually a good question though because you've been around so like much longer than us were was oh, that man. always the case like were comedians always at each other's throats as much as now yeah, is, it just yeah. a, is it just social media
2: yeah bob mills makes a really good point that at one, when he started there was four times the number of comics than there were gigs in the in the country so you could always have a bill every night and those four could rotate the number of gigs increased but let's say they went up threefold the number of comics went up a thousandfold oh, easily yeah easily and so it really is just a bare-toothed kind of venal. Um, it, it is like um, battle royale, you know.
0: But nowadays, it's much. There's you, you see much more public arguing among comedians. Obviously, there's a platform like Twitter or something or Facebook when they're all digging each other mm. out in public. Was there ever that sort of thing going on? Was
1: there was no, was there, there I suppose you recorded? couldn't see it publicly, could you? It might well, oh, you could
0: do it on stage, I suppose. You could do sort of a show, yeah. would take the piss out of some people on stage. Is that a, something that happened back then? Was yeah, no, a absolutely. Thing? It was yeah, done I with graffiti was... outside their house <laughs> and t shirts made up.
2: <laughs> so, I'll start a rumor. No, the um, the, it, there was one comic, there was one comic I remember there was a, there was a, a comic called Nick Wiltie started um and I early, know Nick yeah, must know have Nick, been yeah. Wiltie. really, really good comic, and he'd come out of the army and so when he started on the circuit his basically I just remember his politics not quite jiving with the supposed right on us at the
0: time, and he's well, a he terrible. fight in For- the Falklands. Am I right in thinking that? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. On their side, though, that's the yeah, thing. No, yeah. He, he was, <laughs> <laughs> he, he was, um, I think he was a spy. But yeah, he uh, yeah he fought in the Falklands with uh, you know with great uh, with, with great honor and he uh, so when he you know when he hit the circuit he's already yeah, had like let's, the long. Just hair clarify, it, we like
0: don't him. know how honourable he fought. <laughs> he might, he might we be don't. We have
2: no. I have not seen. <laughs> I've been war hiding.
0: <laughs> but, but I, I know we know Nick, but I, yeah, all I know about it. Nick is what I've seen in the movies. That's it. Yeah. That's all I know
2: about his war story. But anyway, the point is, I just remember this comedian chasing him around London one night. I don't even know if he's aware of it. Going from gig to. gig gig because he'd said on stage and I noticed because we this is when Simon and I still had the uh, this first venue the viaduct or whatever together the um, (laughs) comedian came in and he'd heard that Nick Wilty earlier had done this joke about uh, Saddam Hussein and and Nick Wilty had said something like yeah of course yeah next next year he'll be switching on the lights at Oxford Street all right so because it was seen as an anti-Saddam line and possibly pro-war, there was this comedian chasing him from venue to venue going, where's he gone now? Where's he gone now? Could have just read Time Out. But then see so that,
0: uh, <laughs> I think that that, that actually highlights, because a lot of people think it's just a modern thing. They think it's now comedians are too right on yeah. and all that. But, you know, the fact that alternative comedy came out of that sort of anti-Thatcher, left-wing sort mm. of bubble of the 80s I've I've always suspected. That actually, it was probably all just going on back then. It just wasn't there. Just wasn't Twitter, basically. So it was actually. I agree.
2: Just- yeah, I th- yeah. You know, it's the uh, you know, it's just a, a new form of media that's able to amplify those kind of voices. I mean, it's changed everything. That social media just the presence of the internet, but um, yeah, it was they're really, yeah, it, it, people are always the same. I mean, people are, you know, you got, I was just reading about the reformation yesterday and it's like, you know, the, the social media is just the Gutenberg press, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just Martin Luther dragging it down, but yeah. So it's always been in my experience, it's always been the same. My only drag with it is I had an opportunity to get involved in it in like 83, 84 at the comedy store, comedy store. And I, for some reason I turned it down. I had like, um I did a job for like uh Lily Allen's mother, this fantastic um producer called Alison Owen. And uh she was married to Keith Allen. So they were part of the very early comedy store people. But you know, I was like sixteen or something and I didn't go for some stupid reason. I didn't go and so you know I missed out on all that sort of mid eighties thing. I'd have loved to have been yeah, and yeah. seen how it evolved up because uh, from nine, my, my start was January 91. And to be honest, apart from exactly as you're saying, it's exactly the same now, but with a boom in social media. It's the same psychology. I never really saw its kind of inception. I never saw the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love to have seen that, you know?
0: Yeah. I just remember Nick Wilty is um, famously was, he was told to get out of Belfast, wasn't it? He? he did the Belfast Empire and Patrick Kilty brought him on and said, it's his first time here in civilian clothes and uh and he came on did his set did nothing apparently after at the break this was back in the day as well Yeah, you know this was still this was pre yeah. good friday agreement i imagine you know so um it's, yeah he had a little word in his ear somebody came up and said like you've got to get out tonight you're, you're leaving belfast tonight you're not staying till the morning just said to him that's it and apparently.
2: So, so- did Paddy Kilty think, did they insist that that's how I want to be introduced? Did he say you must tell them? <laughs> but that was back when that was, I was previously that was, here in uniform. That,
0: that, that was his gig then. He was the king of it, wasn't he? So, And yeah, he was very much played with that, the sort of air oh, wow. of threat in that room. I didn't know that one. That's but good. It's, okay, imagine that. Imagine just, you know, you know a gig's gone bad when you get a death threat <laughs> that's real as well. Not, not even real. just an empty yeah, death yeah, threat. Yeah. Yeah, so. He's doing, doing a lot of art now, now, isn't is? he? Yeah. He's an artist art. now, isn't he? Nick Nick, yeah. he? Yeah, he is actually.
1: I've seen his stuff Does on paintings. Instagram. It's very, it's very good. good. I had no um, idea he was even in the army. Oh, really? I, know how much I, I get to know people.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Do you know you what know, I, I put that down to, though? The reason I think that, that that's the case is that he's not you. So you don't yeah, yeah, care yeah.
1: Why would about I?
2: anything outside that couch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: but, so, yeah, Why so, would I, I, John? Why would I
0: care about that? <laughs> it's so, all right you first signed tonkinson that's paul tonkinson for any listeners who haven't seen him brilliant comic um who was the next sort of who were the next crop of people
2: jupiter's was the next one and uh yeah th- and that would be phil obviously um so phil <laughs> was the next His one. brother ron in- <laughs> exactly <laughs> dave Jupitus, but um who was a fantastic carpenter. No, I, uh, was, Jupiter was next. And, you know, I never signed anybody. This was, again, that got me in trouble years later. I just, like, never did a deal with anyone. I just did it on a handshake. And so, uh, Jupiter was the next one. And he was the first one to kind of, well, actually, weirdly, Tonkinson got, Carlton TV started. So he got, uh, he got, like, a show on the, the new Carlton ITV thing called raw soup or something so I think that was the first TV gig I, I got with anybody and then like I said Jupiter had had this thing he'd been knocking around for seven or eight years I had this venue this comedy at Soho what I'd done was it was called Soho and then which I thought was ridiculous because there was only time out it was alphabetical order and s is right right near the end so yeah. you know there was like thin pickings and it was a Thursday night so you'd go there it was like one of those wine bar gigs where there'd be like eight people so I moved it to the Saturday night and went to Malcolm Hay, who was the editor of, you know, like comedy at the time was called Cabaret in Time Out as well. It wasn't even called the comedy section. Uh, literally, it's me and the, the Helen Austin from Two Girls What Sing. I saw her, I saw her just,
0: I think she stopped just when I was starting out. I remember, see, I remember seeing her at a gig. They were
2: great. They were such a good actor. I
0: saw her on her own. She was solo at the time. Oh, okay. So One Girl, one that girl that What Sing.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Um,
2: and then um, but yeah, so she and I lobbied Malcolm Hay in as much as we went to the office and went, it's not cabaret, it's you know, so we've made the point that it's all comedy, and so they changed the name to comedies. That's the reason that the comedy section was uh, renamed. So he did that. I moved it to Saturday night, it went gangbusters, so it was full every week because I would just book whoever was on at the comedy store between shows. Yeah. Because we were on Dean, we had this thing on Dean Street basically. And uh, the crown and two chairmen, and uh, yeah, so Jupiter was about to quit because he'd been going six or seven years, and uh, he'd had a couple of, he had a, a new baby, and he had a couple of kids, and blah blah blah. And you know, I was totally unknown and inexperienced, and nobody wanted. And basically, he, he had six months to get get some money out of this business, or he was going to have to go back and work at the. Uh, Job centre because he'd come from the civil service as his sort of day job off and on, and so uh, we we talked about it. I think it was John Mann who put us together, and and basically because he was so receptive, my sort of real shorthand, and I didn't know anything about anything at the time. Was he was when I met him, he was doing this kind of Hawaiian shirt faux Steve Martin kind of delivery. You know, his, his literally his, first, his opening line was like, Hey, I'm sorry, I just went to the Bahamas for a minute, you know, and it was just like literally <laughs> Steve Martin. And, uh, and I like things looking, Julian's gonna have I like that. to exaggerate <laughs> what's in front of you, basically. What's that? So, <laughs> Julian's gonna have that. <laughs> that opening? Just yeah, yeah, write it yeah, down, exactly. mate.
1: I just spell and, and it all Bahamas. I <laughs> know <laughs> it was. H's. I just stuck
2: him in a leather jacket and cropped his hair and made him do big l- I'll tell you what it was. What about I for the Kevin show? Day-
1: <laughs> What's that What about for the show? <laughs> exactly.
2: I um Kevin Day Kevin Day was doing this was pre-lads and pre-loaded and everything. You know, it hadn't really yeah. exploded the nineties. And it was just that I, I just took Kevin Day's uh, topics basically. Kevin Day was brilliant and was doing stuff about football weirdly before anybody else really was, uh, but he was doing politics in it. And I just said to Jupiter, "We basically take the same themes and take all the politics out and just make it big, loud, shouty, as violent rock and roll." And because he was really receptive, because he had like basically a six month probation on this uh, on the circuit, he did it, and immediately it blew up. I mean, he just you know. Uh, became huge on the circuit. But you could at that time, you know, there was a lot of working gigs. So it was Jupiter's was the next one. And then kind of everything followed on from that,
0: really. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think, something that's changed. I was, I was chatting something about this the other day. can't remember who it was, but about how that, that works. It doesn't really happen nowadays. The circuit is big. And, you know, nowadays, a lot of people stay, like, stay in London and whatever, you know. And, you know, I remember there was a phrase that I heard when I started out, which is when a comic becomes too big for the circuit. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like when the circuit yeah. comic gets so good that they're just mm. blitzing every gig to the point where. And it was said about McIntyre actually when I first started, mm. he was the one people were like, he's, "He's too big for the circuit, mate." And within about mm. six months, he was every, on every. Yeah, he was t- Mister Telly, Mister Saturday Night, and um, yeah. I remember it happened with Mickey Flanagan was another one. Everyone was saying it about, yeah. and then it just happened. Like, but you don't really hear that anymore. Lee Evans was the one,
2: I think. Lee Evans was the first one I saw do that. I think. Well, the, I, I totally uh, get what you mean because it looked, it looked almost abnormal that he should. He looked immortal. You yeah. know? And this was even at the store and things. You know, he would do his Bohemian Rhapsody act at the store, and it would be. It was. You might as well have been in an arena then. It was yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, we hadn't seen anything like that because we're used to it now with Peter Kay, McIntyre julian <laughs> you know but yeah it was i think if i'm not wrong lee evans was the f- the first really massive potential mainstream crossover act who had come out from the circuit and was he still had a toe in the circuit for a little while in that transition period it was it was exceptional
0: yeah it's weird i don't know i don't know if it's now that the sort of the circuit itself is sort of bypassed by a lot of the people that end up Getting relatively big on telly, do you know what I mean? It's more mm. Edinburgh, the bits and bobs, and you know you might end up seeing. They might even get. They might get a Netflix series before they ever just headline of, like, you know. A, a yeah, well, I, 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 I like, think
2: they're even getting because they don't have uh, the the attachment to Edinburgh in the US. I think that you're seeing. I got I got out of comedy, like, too early. I I got I left London in 2007 because I thought the crash was coming in 2008, basically, because I thought this is all going to be wasteland. And uh, I should have waited a few years. But I, I came here, and it's been really, really good to kind of really, really bed into a different culture and then sort of learn show business again from the ground up in a different culture. And all I was going to say is, because they don't have Edinburgh here, they've really embraced uh social media yeah way more than has yet in britain i mean it's happening but there's still a kind of there's still a kind of um nostalgia for edinburgh in when i first came to the states this was the thing that always stuck with me so i left in 2007 and kind of in my first few weeks i was living just behind the comedy store and stuff uh on sunset and um not you know in the bins but um but uh I went to I went to I went to the comedy store and literally it was 2007 and this comedian introduced the next guy and just said and just said uh, and the next guy up actually makes his living from stand up, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> right? And that was my introduction into like oh, this is what's coming down the pipe for you guys and you know nobody thought in 2007 this bubble could ever burst for comedians yeah, yeah. you know and I was uh, I'm always again very rudimentary on these things it's like if it's happening in america this is the this is the market research for what's about to happen so all i was going to say was because they don't have edinburgh you've got people like miranda sings who's gone from social media straight to netflix Mm. you know and it's it's really a kind of basic not elaborate not fleshed out format or anything. It's literally just a character.
0: Yeah, and
2: yeah, yeah. She, she's definitely attuned to the idea that it gets picked up by another financed streaming broadcaster, if you like. We haven't yeah. quite got that. I don't know if you agree. But that you haven't quite got the culture yet in the UK where you see that potential. The Joe Rogans, etc. I mean, this podcast is. is I think well, great I don't, to I mean, it.
0: the i I'd say the first I can think of that's done it in recent in the last couple of years where it started is Mo Gilligan, who basically went yeah, from yeah. you know just sort of you know he was I'd gigged with him at the, Up the Creek and they'd signed him and he was new and he was exciting and cool like but he was still just you know when I saw him I thought oh he's a decent young up and coming comedian, and then mm. next time I started watching his videos online they were quality and within about a year he was a superstar, essentially, you know, he's got a Netflix series, a Netflix special, and, you know, he totally bypassed, I think he went That's to an Edinburgh fringe, uh, to do, I, mean, I don't know if he did a solo show or something, it's very, like, this was, he was very really new, and he didn't, you know, it wasn't like full of PR or anything, just he was, and no one gave a shit, you know what I mean, like, because he wasn't doing it in the way that gets the gets you noticed. Really, you've got to have all the PR and Paul, stuff. S-
1: Paul Smith as well. He did it, Paul didn't
0: Smith, he? I guess? Yeah, he's done it. Often. Well, Gadry, Paul Smith is a slightly extent. different thing, isn't he? Though Paul Smith's doing a slightly
2: different thing, isn't he?
1: Well, Mo Gilligan did
0: stand up. Yeah, Paul Smith is doing clips of stand up. Yeah, uh, it's uh, more crowd
1: work. work. His his clips that yeah. kind of he became big on was crowd work, wasn't it? Yeah, but he's also um, working Mo out Gilligan a live the comedy sketches. base. He's got a geographic yes. base. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, which is more Hot like the country
2: singers in America would do. They'd have their theater in Nashville, and they'd work just in Nashville. Say, you know, it's yeah. it's like it's. It, it, I'm saying Mo Mo Gilligan's interesting because I don't think he is associated with a particular area, but he does no. fulfill that thing of over uh, uh, leapfrogging the, the hierarchy, so called, of the circuit. I mean, that's my constant thing. It's just like comics getting onto the circuit and they're looking at they think they've got some debt to pay to their forebears or something that they have to i think
0: that's what i definitely started out thinking that was it that was the goal was you know you'd see the headliners and be like i want to be that fucking guy so i think and that was because i started out just before the boom so television wasn't even a thought i didn't even know it was a thing there was no yeah. re- there was no stand up on telly. That was before Apollo and McIntyre's Road Show and yeah, all that. Yeah, there was no panel It was shows. marginal then.
2: What? it was a fringe thing then. Yeah. So know, the actually, I think
0: mine. I, I sort probably suffered from that timing where, to me, just being a club comic was like, a dr- oh my goodness, a dream. And then I think that's now, the
1: same here. Like I just yeah. like, having a job, just playing a smoky yeah. nightclub as but, a job. That's why just our generation
0: amazing. of comedians, I think, are probably the ones that are the most. Sort of in the in the grey area of like oh shit I need to do social media but I don't really know how you know yeah, it's all yeah. a bit like feeling like you're sort of you're trying to get on the trying to be trendy with the kids it's whereas Julian like, Dean
1: official whereas on comedians Instagram. now
0: are coming on where they're not thinking I don't they don't I don't give a fuck about closing the store yeah you know I mean I want to I want to be yeah, yeah, there yeah. And do, doing that thing and like we had different Netflix. goals yeah yeah so I t- I think that's probably what's what why it's also sort of uh fractured now in terms of generations of comedians
2: yeah yeah uh, but like i said I, you know i think that the, the, it's it's exacerbated by you know certain advice and certain uh certain sort of uh, customs on the circuit being new comedians are being ill-advised to follow this kind of these guilds these kind of um, practices whereas it should just be look There's a big audience out there. You can now get to them via these means. It's about. It's a. I hate to say it. It's just about fame and money. That's the whole thing that it's all about. Along the way,
1: yeah. Well, people have come.
0: That's Julian's tattoo. He's got on his chest. He's
1: going to be on my gravestone.
0: (laughs) You'd still (laughs) pay it
1: off eight years after you die. (laughs) (laughs) Got it on on tick.
0: Family, I've got to pay off your debts.
1: And Hand it down to one of my kids.
0: <laughs> That's what's no be fame and jar. Death. <laughs> it's, uh,
2: but yeah, I just I just feel really bad for comedians getting advice from previously just hanging around the circuit comedians because they're, they're they're often,
1: they're you know I get calls here and it's like
2: you know just just I mean, for I- any kind of
0: advice.
1: I mean on a on a on the sort of flip side I mean driving around doing gigs is an amazing job compared to Oh typically like, you know what I mean like still way I worked a, it is. yeah I worked in sales for about 10 years and it I mean I had great times doing that um but it's fucking brutal man you Yeah, know, you burn out and I mean, doing you know, driving, even driving around to gigs is. I still, you know, Again, when I'm on the M1 might... at 2 a.m., it's not fun. But I've
0: got a theory as well. That's the worst of it. The, I think there's a lot more people start comedy now as young as possible because they've watched a lot of it growing up when they're in their teens yeah. and all that. So when they're like 18 or they go to uni, they start doing gig, gigs then. Whereas I do so like, to them, like I think they've never had they've never had a shit job to like sort of be like fuck I'm just glad yeah, I'm not yeah. doing that yeah, so yeah, whereas yeah. if you're like our age and you've had shit jobs that you don't like just doing comedy for a living it feels like a I think f- I numerical. should be
1: a labourer on a building site totally that's exactly <laughs> it. I spend
0: every every time I do a shit gig or like you know you do a Christmas gig or a corporate and it's just hard and you like you feel I'll like you've already earned your money and then you realize how much you earn compared to if you if you did a shit job it, you'd have to work about fucking 10 days to like get like, yeah, you know, yeah 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 oh, and steal like, off there the is company. always that underlying feeling of i still have lucked out so like i think that's one thing i always hold on to so to, and that's to yeah. not get bitter or not get sort of shitty about but, uh, but that's,
2: this is what i'm saying this is the, 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 that's the interesting thing is like that's exactly my you know i gave up management in 2007 and we were quite big but I'm just like, I didn't get into this to do admin. You know what I mean? It's yeah, just like yeah. I fell into it. And then suddenly, from your point of view, it's like, yes, it is driving around and having fun. From mine, it's holding your coat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'm, not, I'm not that <laughs> bothered <laughs> about that. Can you make sure
1: it doesn't get creased? Linda. Is that all right? No. <laughs> exactly.
2: It's from well, Zara. It that, well, this well, once you've done it, once you've created somebody famous, you know what I mean? Once you've done it, you are just standing around. I'll tell you, uh, we did... um. In the, in the mid-90s, there was some panel show. I can't remember what it was, but anyway, Bob Monkhouse was the host of it. And um, and it was Jupiter's. This was, uh, yeah, mid to early 90s. It was before Buzzcock, so It must be 94, or something like that. And um, uh, I was basically, you know, I was no age at all sitting in this green room while they were doing the record. And it was just me and Monkhouse's agent who was already in his seventies at the time. I think Peter Pritchard, his name was really, really nice. And it's just like, and I honestly got a sort of a flash forward of like, if you're not careful, you're going to be 72 years old in a green room with some idiot from Cardiff, not knowing yeah. what he's
1: doing. I had that in my sales job. I got this job that I really wanted and I kind of blagged it a bit. And um, I got the job and I was like, I had, he- you know, pension, healthcare, all of that yeah. good money good salary in the city and i looked over and there was a guy that had been there like 30 years I, I, I was there for four that's when i got into comedy that epiphany i was like right right fuck this and then yeah. I, I thought what do i enjoy what did he doing? do when he looked at you do you think a- he, uh, <laughs> mol- he molested me <laughs> <laughs> at the at the water fountain <laughs> put his thumb in my ass <laughs> but i um but i said to him dad no not really but i i said but i that's exactly was my thing i was like i got this job and then once i got in used to it and oh it's just sort of you know, I'm just going to an office every day. It doesn't yeah. matter about money. This is 40 hours of my... Oh, my God. And then you've I got know. to get I there. A, a life get a, home, it's like most it's, of my waking life. That thing
0: of, like, getting up, having to get up every day early in winter in the UK when it's fucking oh, cold and dark. Can it's you dark from 7.45 at a minute. And it's just... like
2: having to ask somebody if you can have a holiday?
0: I know. <laughs> that is... Yeah. Just, well, we mean was, um, Eddie, <laughs> because of Eddie lockdown. I can't be asking the fucking dole office if we can have another. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different base Eddie um.
2: Izzard's first manager, Pete Harris, the Screaming Blue Murder people. He because um, again they were sort of suddenly a big hit as well in the. Early nineties, and so he sort of money was rolling in, and he said he used to take a tube ride every week at like seven o'clock in the morning or seven thirty just to remind himself
0: how oh, shit it was. Why why he's doing yeah, this and yeah, putting himself yeah. through it? And it is <laughs> it. What's I mean? This could, I and mean, we could snip this out if it feels like I'm sort of slagging someone off. But is the story true? You'd probably know because you were around then um about Eddie binning off his agent Pete Harris. Uh, the yeah, story. I spoke yeah. to
1: Phil. Phil Harris is his brother. Yeah, he... I know it's quite because it's yeah. sort of
0: famous apocryphal story in comedy.
1: We could uh, put just this bit on. We'll Patreon. put this bit on the Patreon through, yeah. actually,
0: because basically, yeah, the story goes. That Pete had really, you know, been with. Eddie He was dry, for eight,
1: literally driving him to gigs and stuff. For
0: that period of time when Eddie was becoming Eddie Izzard, and then he went. Was it? He oh, won, yeah. Did he win the award in Edinburgh? And I, the story I heard was he basically binned off Pete after the moment he won the award and got offered better representation. Having I think you never uh, you, suggested you might be mixing up only... stories.
2: You might be mixing up stories actually because that was Frank Skinner with Malcolm Bailey.
0: I oh, really
2: won won the award, right. and that
0: night. Oh, that, that's nice. the one. This is the one I heard. Yeah. Oh, that was crazy. signed with your agent. And uh, so. <laughs> thank you. Um, no,
2: listen, and they were right to do it. Listen, I mean, but it is fantastic. business, isn't it? Yeah, that I mean, goes that on. In,
0: it's business, but they're sure short. You businesses. can just time it better. Do what you do in a relationship. We just drag it, it out. Was, I mean, the, I'm not. I'm not that, so that ruthless.
1: Really, e- even leaving my my first agent uh, was was awkward for me. Like, uh, you know, I've, I've not got that. You know, that soci- sociopathic ruthlessness, I guess. No, well, not in that area. But not in that area. I mean You save yeah. it for
2: your recreational life. <laughs> yeah, <exactly.
1: laughs> I save it, I save it for hinge. <laughs> yeah, for your I'm, DMs. Not, I'm, not, I'm not on hinge. I've never been on no, a date. But yet. it
2: is true, it is true. And listen, I just want to remind you, I'm in America, so I've got First Amendment rights. Any any repercussions are yours, okay? They're, they're yeah. nothing to do with me. But sure. no, um, Eddie did fire yeah, Pete harris Pete harris was his um Pete harris created screaming blue murder for eddie yeah that was the thing they those, those gigs were created to give eddie a place because he had to his style was he couldn't turn up and do 20 minutes because you need the whole evening to get the mood going you know
1: yeah yeah, yeah. and at least the gigs are for, still around though they're great great little gigs are not they
2: yeah every every cloud is what you're always saying every mind. cloud <laughs> but um but i, I think it came as a bit of a shock <laughs> exactly, but yeah, and so, uh, um, but yeah, he did. He, he got rid of uh, he got rid of Pete. I think he asked him to sign something as well. This is there's this separate legends, but yeah, Eddie's was he was obviously taking it badly, and he asked him to sign something that basically withdrew all um, all, all claim on any of the oh, Izzard's uh fortune, but yeah, the one you're talking about is Malcolm Bailey, who again. He had like Caroline Hearn, Frank Skinner, and like one other at the same time. He had like ridiculous rods. But again, this was what this was what informed my kind of uh, arm's length approach to the whole thing. Like I said I realised I'd fallen into it, and I just I didn't want to be. I mean, I, I was I was writing a kids show. I, I basically I, weirdly I ended up meeting Shane Ritchie in that first year on some friends TV show. And then so I started writing this kid show called Run the Risk on Saturday mornings, which was this kind of gun it. show on live and
1: kicking. Yeah, I think yeah. it was
2: or going live one of the two. So I started writing that. So I had the club and I had the the writing thing and that would have been what I would have preferred to do. But then every little, it just happened that it was an exploding market and every little kind of steer that I was giving these comedians was luckily turning into some kind of career advancement. And so I sort of got swept up in that. And the money was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It was just mm. like money fights. Um, but I was mindful of the, uh, like I said, that yeah, the Malcolm and the Pete Harris stories. It's like you cannot get too attached because ultimately, quite rightly, as you, as you said at the very top, this is not a team sport, you know, you've got to be looking out for, you're the lead singer. I mean, it's as simple as that, really. You've got to be solo. And so I didn't really like, I always say that for me, it was like being the architect of a building. And then the minute it's actually up and finished, then you become the janitor.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's
2: like, I really like the comics, the work of the comics I worked with. Just like I said, doing the admin though, it's just like, (laughs) you know, That's not what I got in for, you
0: know? So when you quit, not quit, when you decided to move to America and just do other things, um, what who did you have at the time? Who were the ones that you had to sort of go, look? Because it's, it's a rare thing for your agent just to go, look, I can't be arsed.
2: Bry- Bryden was the one main one I had. McIntyre and I had separated about two years before. Yeah. But Basically, McIntyre, that's the only thing that sort of slightly bugs me. In his book, he says he fired his agent. He never fired his agent. He called me and said that he wanted me to stop doing the creative stuff basically because I, I I created a show called annually retentive and I produced and directed and wrote that and then I did I did like director's commentary and the Keith Barrett show on BBC two and stuff you know I was writing all yeah. these shows but management like I said mainly is it's mainly typing you know what I mean but he was getting bigger McIntyre and said uh I want you to stop uh doing these uh uh, basically working on creative stuff and I was like no I think then you better start looking around for another agent you know what I mean it's just like um for me the fact I've not had to do a stroke of work for like 30 years I just like that's all I'm really into you know I mean I'm the laziest man and so that's how we parted company and the last one I was left with really was uh Bryden I still had Alastair McGowan I think was still on the books but bryden was the main one and again we were writing all these sort of shows together and the last deal i did actually was gavin and stacy and then i then i left basically
0: nice it's a nice little part in part my in little parting shop, shop. yeah but,
2: but uh yeah i um i just i just fancied uh i just fancied the states but i actually only came out here for six months but because I basically, nobody wants to be fired by their agent. And, you know, he was let go, to be honest. He wasn't, you know, he's obviously a massive uh, business in his own right. I'm just like, once you see, the trouble is, once you make a ton of money as a manager, y- y- the overhead just goes ridiculous. It's like, once you've got one artist, that artist doesn't want you to work with anybody else. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've got... I mean, again, I don't think I'm telling stories out of school, but when um, when, Ricky, when Ricky and Stephen... Mer- Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant blew up uh, with Duncan, who's at United, I think, now. But when he started, as soon as they got big, Ricky made him fire every one of his artists, except <laughs> him and Stephen. <laughs> <Backing laughs> like,
1: I'm going to you know? do that to my agents. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I Bye-bye, Carl. I mean, <laughs> but, Me... Uh, uh who else um chris
0: addison <laughs> you know, dave gorman everyone's getting a fucking makes, they're chop, going, mate they're so going they're going
1: gotta crack some when, eggs to make an omelette mate
2: <laughs> when you could still make money out of um out of movies you know dicaprio was being paid like 20 million a year by caa to stay on the books
0: bloody hell that's when you know you're
1: you're the big dog in it exactly because i'm more along would... for that deal i think that's more suited to me <laughs>
2: but i listen i think that deal is coming down the pipe i really do i think it has to happen in britain it has to because the point is dicaprio knew his value of every the first script uh, the script would be sent to him first basically so he gets paid 20 million to just be the kind of the lightning conductor for those projects then what you do is you get your second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth talent to actually do those scripts that DiCaprio can't do. So you make it more than twenty yeah, million yeah, back yeah. anyway. That's that's the. So I totally understand. They got why, DiCaprio why and earth. like
1: seven DiCaprio lookalikes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's the thing, you know. When they got rid of when uh, they got rid of DiCaprio because Julian insisted on it. Now yeah. it's uh, now that it's backfired. But the the, the I can totally understand why a big artist wouldn't want to share, because you know the slog you guys have done to get any kind of profile at all. Why share it with the agent's new pet project? That's not your problem, yeah, you know? Yeah, I
0: suppose, but surely you expect your agent to have support staff that can deal with the, the lesser lesser mortals. You do,
2: you do, and, and the point is, but this is the thing. Again, I've had it said to, said to me, you know, it's just like I joined Paul Dudridge Management. I didn't join uh, uh, Assistant Management. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? So you're just getting, you know, it's that eighty twenty thing. You make eighty percent of your money from twenty percent of the artists, and you get
1: that's in, you know, in most money. business, isn't it? I guess certainly in yeah. sales, that is. The top five yeah. percent pay for like ninety five percent of uh, the income. Exactly,
2: exactly. But but you know, you do you end up paying tons of staff basically to carry the the overhead if you like and so you you know there is this kind of and again then the artist has got you you know it's it's like the old thing of if you owe the bank five million quid you're in trouble if you owe it 500 million the bank's in trouble once you've got a massive artist yeah yeah especially in especially in the uk the the contracts are meaningless in the uk you can sort of walk out of most contracts because you've got Basically, common law in Britain means you can't restrict somebody from trading, you know, especially a sole uh, performer. And so the minute you get somebody massive and you kind of think like, OK, that's my mortgage for the next 10 years or whatever, they've got an inordinate amount of power over you. And I just yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. Again, I don't really respond to that. So I like the, the culture of the comedians. If I could perform, I would have, but I can't because I'm terrible. And then you just kind of, you know, I said forever, you're just the bag carrier and I'm like, and indentured servant. And I, so I just made enough money. I made a big lump and was able to just sort of throw a six and get off the board, you know?
0: That's, that's nice. Um, and I've spent it now, though. I have spent yeah, I it. it say, so. yeah. <laughs> Long story short, the reason you're doing the podcast, you're looking for acts you're starting the business exactly, again. Exactly.
2: Oh, I'd never manage again. I'd never go into management yeah. again. Oh, my God. What That's would you because if you
0: if you could re-enter comedy because obviously what do you now you write and you you're in production and things but, yeah
2: I'm, I make stuff but I just make stuff if you had I, to
0: I, re-enter comedy would it be from that side is it I just want to make comedy or would you ever is there other things you'd.
2: No, I, I'm consider. intending to come back to London in some shape or form in the next couple of years. I mean, I've got two Start young, soho uh,
0: ho up again on Thursdays. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Every time, <laughs> if I ever see Harry Hill, that's all he says. He just like walks past, and goes how soho. <laughs> it's um, uh, I um, I would do it from London. London. See, London's got a huge amount of, again, as I was alluding to earlier. Just take the nakedly take the american business model you know get get into that kind of um uh that that sort of sense of using only social media really like i said edinburgh is kind of a red herring these days all right i'll tell you what the significance of edinburgh was uh, just as a business thing and it's not my personal experience there was a time when even idiots like me could have a comedy club for six weeks and the BBC would come to your gig because they'd heard something was happening. Yeah. And then I got, I mean, I was the guest booker on a kid show for ages. And again, these are considerable amounts of money when you're starting out, you know? because they didn't know about the comedy scene everybody yeah. now who's running one of the networks or is a commissioning editor is has been to they they basically did media training or they went to yeah, yeah, studied yeah. media at college or whatever there's nothing you you have no novelty at all so you've just become the, the BBC now is, uh, has basically its own in house advisors, if you like, and they're running networks on so called alternative comedy or whatever this movement is. So there is no leverage. You've got nothing to winkle there at all. You have to find
0: new yeah. outlets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I, I I think that is. I think most comics now are clued up to that. You know, when you start seeing old war horses up from the circuit popping up with podcasts or doing little funny videos. You're like, right, <laughs> yeah. everyone's on yeah, board yeah, yeah. now. The shit's changed. Um, I've got to go shortly. But um, any final final thoughts on... Um, it's been really interesting. I think our listeners will really like this. because you know, Yeah, it's really interesting, shit, isn't it? But actually to hear about the the cogs, the workings it's of the, it's, the, it is, it's the
2: granular stuff I'm really interested in. That's the, the bit that gets me more than the... Well, I'd say what I'm doing now, um, which was obviously your next question. So what I've done <laughs> is, uh, so I was, I, I basically, instead of managing, uh, I ended up coaching because I did, I, I, I spent all my dough when I came out here. I did it so wrong. It was hilarious. I came out with a load of money thinking I would just like work and like, no. And, um, and so like, I literally, I rented the house next door to Sandra Bullock. It was like, I rented it from the Gershwin family. It was I was ridiculous. Know. Do you know what I mean? It was mad. It was mad. So, in about three, four years, I was like totally skint again. It was great. So, I just was selling this kind of info, uh, just coaching. So, I, I, I created this company here and it did quite well. You know, I did live shows and stuff, just telling people the shortcuts on how you can actually uh, get noticed, basically. Don't, yeah, you know, yeah, so, yeah. at the moment, I'm working with like opera singers at the moment, and I've got like a stylist who wants to be a celebrity, all these kind of, you know, disparate things, but I sell it as a fee. What I did because of this COVID thing, I didn't know it was going to last this long. So I sort of casually started this. (laughs) 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 So I, um, I started this, uh, this tech company, basically this entertainmentcoach.com and it's just an app. And so the point is what I'm doing is kind of like, uh, an Uber, but for creative artists. So You've got comedians that uh, basically can't perform or can't perform any kind of to any numbers that generate any revenue, but they've got lots of skills. And then you've got people that will be wanting to perform over the next couple of years that can't sort of learn or can't, you know, go to classes or do comedy classes or anything because of the social distancing. So it's basically just this kind of uh, like Uber matching artists and performers and entertainers with anybody wanting to learn those skills. So I've got sort of dancers, comics. Uh, Actors, writers, whatever, and so you just go on there. You match up your details, and then you just uh, you you charge for face-to-face, one-to-one, over camera,
0: zoom kind of what mentoring type, essentially
2: yeah coaching advice whatever you know there's a big culture in LA of the acting coaches you know people yeah. will wait tables to pay like 400 quid a, uh, 400 bucks a month to an acting coach and the acting coach is usually just an out-of-work actor who's just yeah. maybe <laughs> further He's waiting along the table
1: next door <laughs> it's true this happens this happens
2: yeah. I've had I've had that story where people have been out to dinner and the waiter is their acting coach oh. you know, <laughs> so so but the, the point is that's the that's the kind of um, uh, culture here. Well, this is the thing about the, the States. I'll speed it up because I know you've got to go because even I'm sick of the sound of my voice. But it's w- what you had in Britain. And I was really lucky from the 90s to 2007 was that there was just a passive revenue stream in lots of from lots of different outlets. Yeah, that's yeah. gone for you guys now. And it's horrible. In in America, they never had it at
0: all. I think that's it. It created America's sort of whole system and uh, culture and comedy and everything created that sort of you've got to just hustle. Whereas I do think it's only in the last few years British comics of any caliber have had to start getting the fucking hustle on because things have got a little bit tighter.
2: Exactly. So Patreon.com. <laughs>
0: slash we are TVI. <laughs> Throw us a bone, guys.
2: Well, no, you say Julian's that. always hustling, a, mate. No, well, the, it, there's a section on the app for, you know, to, to teach people how to do podcasts, all that kind of stuff. So it's basically putting anybody that's a professional in the arts with anybody that wants to be a professional in the arts or wants to, like, you know... It's a bit like, like a
1: dating app for the arts, isn't it, to learn it as really opposed is. to... It it really will be once Julian I... signed up. <laughs> <laughs> it will be once you get my profile on there. <laughs> Julian's bio is. <laughs> it's, it's no, that's the next, that's a, the next
2: thing I'm doing, basically. That's what's the thing it's I'm a doing. grinder.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Why Julian got a torso photo on there? <laughs> He's offering to write help write jokes. Uh, um,
0: hey babe. But yeah, that's so. That's that's a good idea, though. I think it's. Yeah, sounds and it is your plan to make that a global thing?
2: It is, yeah. It's already up on the it's up on iTunes already and, you know, on the App Store and all that. It is already a global thing, but I'm just we put it out sort of unfinished because it's it takes longer to actually get it finished and then get Apple to approve. So I got approval first and now we're just sort of backfilling all the the, the necess- you know, so you'll be able to you'll be able to just schedule Zoom meetings, pay you know, people actually be able to make some revenue in this downtime. It's a great um, idea, isn't it? Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a neat technology. I'm really, really pleased with it. But I think we're, the proper rollout will be from January the 1st. It's kind of symbolically. True. But we just never expected this COVID thing to go on so long. So I kept yeah, dragging exactly. my feet on it. Just like, can't be another month. It can't be another month. So round about beginning of November, I just like hired a bunch of uh, uh, engineers on it. And so we're just getting all the components in. So you should be able to just... And we do it by time zone, so technically you could hire a comedy coach or a writing um, coach or any kind of uh, any any kind of person with experience. And you could be in London and hire somebody in LA, but the calendar will coordinate you by time zone as opposed to uh, like Uber would with geography. You know, yeah, so that's yeah, yeah. that's the logic. But I figure, you know, the feedback we've had on it so far has been. I think we've got like a thing in Forbes coming up. they they're into it because. It's one of the last kind of real retail cash money kind of places you can guarantee making some revenue is by, you know, sharing advice on how to write, you know, yeah, for instance.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it also fits in with the sort of modern, what, what you'd say, gig economy, isn't it, where people do things yeah. of their own. You know, it's not the old nine to five days, is it? People are doing all sorts. You can work from home.
2: Exactly. Nice. Exactly. And, and you just think of the amount of experience that you've got. And like I said, this is for dancers, you know, I've got circus skills, magicians, and any, I've got like 15 categories in the first rollout. But you think about the amount of skills you've got and the amount of advice you give new comedians. It's like, that's actually, that's actually a truly valuable experience. That's truly valuable information, rather. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So, Well, you, you had to put the time in to learn it somewhere. Could you it's even
1: like, do like a writing workshop for people, like workshops workshop this is the, on their, exactly. their comedy, help them with their bits and punch them up and stuff like
2: that yeah it, it, it's this is what we just had added uh this week is the group yeah <laughs> you steal their
0: bits <laughs> <laughs> that's my app steal my bit
2: <laughs> so yeah so it'll be it's definitely um, my bit so what's the name
0: of it entertainment coach it's called it's entertainment, entertainment coach. coach all right cool that's excellent right um it's been oh, really, good. really interesting no thanks for coming on thanks for um, coming on
2: Paul and oh it's been genuinely listen I'm not just saying this it's like well because well, I know Julian um you know IRL and uh, a bit and uh you know you listen to people's podcasts you know, initially kind of go yeah it's, it's good it's a genuinely genuinely an actual proper avid listener fan it's oh, like cool. it's, it's it's a
1: really well. You know how difficult is that just because to it's get. brilliant, or is there
2: Well, it was today. Yeah, I mean, it's um, <laughs> this has been. This has been. I'm not saying it's a high point, but I think that's what we're all thinking. But,
0: just listening ironically to see why we're still going. <laughs> it's really,
2: it's really really, it's, a, it's really, really good. It's this one and um, no such thing as a fish. I uh, uh, yeah. my sort of go tos. It's very good. Um, I heard
0: you. that
1: one. You've never Have you listened not? to
0: any other podcasts. Oh yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, true.
0: <laughs> Unless it was just you just listen to YouTube's uh, psychopath documentaries on the move.
1: Oh, were well, they not? Po- I thought they were podcasts.
0: <laughs> listen to Pornhub just in the background.
1: I just watch CCTV. <laughs> Sometimes it's a bit uh, slow. It's a bit slow uh, during yeah. lockdown.
0: anyway um right let's wrap this up paul dudridge thanks for joining us thanks for
1: listening guys Uh, thanks for having me thanks thanks for for coming
0: listening um do you want to plug the patreon one more time julian you've managed to get about five subliminal ones um
1: patreon.com slash we are tvi r is the word we are tvi (laughs) join us or don't you don't have to obviously
0: um and one final one obviously apart from the app can people find you anywhere paul dudridge
1: your
2: home address i was you know i was just lost in that for a minute uh yeah just you know at paul dudridge on twitter or something uh you know it's um yeah just at paul dudridge on twitter is probably the best one i'm not really anywhere i'm just like yeah just at paul dudridge that'll do okay (laughs) i can't imagine why anybody'd want to find me for anything i don't know people
0: do that now people just follow people i I always get people just adding me on facebook just randoms right right out of the blue just and i look on their profile and it's just probably a fake profile, just some 19-year-old. Who's Russian the most famous one. person you've
2: got following you on Facebook?
0: I don't know. I, I don't know on Facebook or even on Twitter, actually. Uh, Boy George followed me about a year ago on Twitter, and I got quite excited. And I saw that he follows about like... 80,000 people, and I was like, well, he's just, I think he's just got an app. Or like that's this, really I'm... good, though. But, um, I yeah, I've got quite... Boy a George, that's easily. a, a, a heavyweight name. I've got a lot more Twitter, like, sort of... I've got some high-profile Twitter followers because I do actual jokes and shit on Twitter, whereas Facebook, mm-hmm. I don't really do much on.
1: I've got a lot of big comics following me, but I guess we all have, haven't we? Because we're all comics. Com- yeah,
0: exactly. But um, anyway, let's just wrap this up rather than... I'll like, let you go. Let you go. Our, Donald, Donald Trump our follows our me. Social media follow- who Donald Duck? Donald Donald Duck follows <laughs> me, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one we all want, though, isn't
1: it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um... one th- he's only following one me.
0: <laughs> all right, thanks for listening. Thanks to Paul for joining us. Take it easy, everyone. Bye.
1: <laughs> the in the podcast. I'll I'll <laughs> <laughs> I'm in alleyway. I'm all right, right.